So as Ree said, this message is um, about freedom, the second of our three core values. And I wanted to begin, um, I wanted to begin by just something came to me over Christmas, a revelation, an epiphany, a moment of my mind was blown. I was watching The Chase on ITV. If you don't know The Chase, it's a game show. I don't need to go into any more details other than it's a game show Prime time, ITV, Bradley Walsh, great show. Now, during this, it's a quiz, and there were quiz questions. One of those questions, um, actually, well, we've got an image, Baz, if you could put the first image on. So you can take part in this question. It wasn't quite phrased like this, but you can kind of see the logic. BC stands for good reading. AD stands for What's the answer, Baz? Anno Domini. Now, I learned this from the chase. Now, you might be thinking, Ben, how on earth did you not know this obvious fact? I don't know. I thought anyone else brave enough to let me know that they thought that AD stands for after death. A few of the students, thank you for being with me on this. I, for 33 years, have believed a lie. Whether it was my parents, whether it was a teacher, whether it was an, a cruel child on the playground, but for 33 years of my life, I believed that AD stood for after death. Because it makes sense before Christ, before his birth, then after death. I didn't realize that it was Latin for a year of our Lord. I didn't realize that. I had a complete mind-blown moment. I didn't realize a truth that was so obvious to all of you, but for me, I'd held a belief that was incorrect for 33 years, and no one told me until Bradley Walsh on the chase corrected my wrong thinking. Now, you're looking at me thinking, what an idiot, but I might have a few, I might catch a few of you out with this next one. Here's another quiz. Question number two is this. There's a picture. Can you name this instrument? I heard a few people say xylophone. Baz, show me the next image. One of these instruments is a xylophone. Which is it? Brains. So if you're listening online, you can't see this image. We have an image of a wooden instrument and a metal instrument looking very similar. They, they make different sounds, but they look the same. It is commonly thought that this metal one is a xylophone. And actually, in my, in my primary school education and my secondary school education, teachers who had quali they were qualified, they had degrees, told me that this was a glockenspiel, the wooden one, and the metal one was a xylophone. Teachers have been trained to tell you this, but that is wrong. The answer's Baz. The top one is a xylophone. Wooden keys is a xylophone. Metal keys is a glockenspiel. Teachers have been telling us wrong for so many generations. My goodness. So if you've learned nothing from today's message, you know the difference. Wood is a xylophone. So Abigail's got some, she's got both at home actually. So I need to be correct in how I teach Abigail. Otherwise, it'll be another after death scenario where she realizes something is true that isn't actually true. But I had one of these moments. Um, if you read in the Bible in a year, you would have probably started with Genesis Genesis 1, 2, and 3. 
I had a moment in Genesis. We read this, I read this every year. I read Genesis 1, 2, 3, probably the most out of any other scripture because often I start a reading plan or I start a Bible in the year and I get six months in. So I always cover Genesis. You might be the same. (laughs) And I thought that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life. And because of that, they were banished from the Garden of Eden. I've, I've held this belief for a long time until I read the Bible recently. You're looking at me thinking, how did we get this guy to preach? He knows nothing. <laughs> but these simple truths, let me, in case you're not sure, in case you're thinking, hang on, Ben, I'm with you on that. I thought it was. They didn't eat from it. They ate from a tree they weren't supposed to eat from. Let me just read a couple of scriptures for you, just to freshen you your memory in case you, like me, got confused. Genesis 2 verse 8 says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're sat there thinking, duh, we knew that, Ben. Let me just read you another verse. Verse 15, "The the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree, every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now this message may just be for me. You might be thinking, I knew that. There are two trees. One of them, God says you can eat so well, he didn't say that. He said, you can't eat from that tree. But he didn't talk about the tree of life. He didn't say, you can't eat from that tree of life. And the wonderful thing about God is he created this vast array of beauty. This wonderful, complex, amazing world. This paradise for Adam and Eve to live on. And he only gave one rule. So many people get caught up with God. And they beat God up. And they beat Christians up and say, it's all about rules, 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 and rules, and rules, and rules, and rules. Do this, do this, do this. But God is wonderful. He gave us one thing. He said, you can have everything. You can pick from the tree of life and live forever. But just don't touch that one. Not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So today, for anyone that is like myself, unsure how many trees were involved in the creation story, today's title is Two Trees. There were two trees. In fact, I did, I did play with the idea based on, um, bearing in mind I'm speaking on freedom. I thought I might title this message, Treedom. <laughs> because I couldn't steer myself away in my prep and in reading the Bible from these two trees. There's vast trees everywhere. But in the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any tree, which I can only assume means the tree of life as well. But don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the story goes, if you know it, that the serpent gets involved, deceives them, they deceive each other. Eat. You know, there's a whole kind of dialogue between Adam and Eve and the serpent. And eventually they do eat from this tree. And this is what happens again in verse, this is this is why, because sometimes I think, why does God not want us to have knowledge? Surely God wants us to know good and evil. 
Surely that's a good thing. Why did God not want us to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Surely as Christians, navigating the pitfalls of life, the moral you know, difficulties that we face day in, day out, surely it would be so much easier if we knew what good, evil, bad, good, <laughs> I couldn't think of another word. <laughs> well, surely that would help us out as Christians. Why did God not want us to eat from that tree. Let's read in verse 22 of chapter 3 in Genesis. The Lord God said, this is after they've messed up and they've ate the wrong fruit. Look at the human beings. And it's almost like God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, the Trinity, is all having this conversation with each other. The human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live, for the, live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent them out to cultivate the ground, for, ground from which they had been made. I'll read the first bit again. The human beings have become like God or us. Become like God, knowing both good and evil. The serpent tried to trick and did successfully trick Adam to say, you don't need God to make decisions about what is right for your life. You don't need God to make decisions about what is good. You can do that yourself. In fact, you know, in this day and age particularly, isn't independence a good value? Isn't being, you know, on my own two feet, I can do life, I don't need any support, I don't need anyone. Surely in this life we consider that to be a good thing. It hasn't changed since Adam and the serpent the serpent convinced and deceived Adam to say, you don't need God. In fact, you can be like God. Why do you even need the God who made you? You can be God who made you. You don't need anything else. He's given you every other tree. He's given you the tree of life. All you need is that one final thing to be God. And God is out the door. God didn't want that because he knew that would, be, that would be terrible for humankind. So he banished Adam and Eve from the garden. And I think we... we using these two trees as a visual. Every single day, we're greeted with that same decision. I could go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I can today, I'm going to make my own decision. I have the power to sort my own mess out. I have the power to become the person that I want to be. I have the power to get the promotion, to get the money, to be the person. Or we go to the tree of life and we say, Jesus, I surrender. Man, this is hard. I need you. I cannot do this without you, God. And that's how God originally designed the world to be. But thinking about freedom, you know, that is a free choice that you have daily. Adam and Eve had a free choice. They could have ate all the luscious fruit on the tree of life. There were two in the middle. They didn't have to travel far. They were just there in arm's reach of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they couldn't take it. But the serpent convinced them to. But they were only left you know, they're only within arm's reach of another tree. That would be eternal life. That would be the goodness of God. That would have been such a wonderful plan for their life. It would have been the most prosperous decision they would have ever made. But something in them wanted to be like God. Something in you and me, when I wake up tomorrow morning, wants me to be like God. I can sort out my to-do list all on my own. I can address that issue in my life all on my own. I don't need God. Question is this. You've got the choice. You've got the freedom to choose. Free will. You've got freedom of choice. Free speech. You can do according to rights and, and, and civil rights and all of that. You can do what you like. 
But based on what we've just heard, are you free? Are you free? And that's the question I want to ask you this morning. And hopefully by the end of the next 20 minutes, I want to give you a few pointers to help you detect whether or not you are free or not. And maybe a few practical things as to if you're not free, what could you do to be free? There's something called, theologians call it original sin. Now what happened in that garden was one, the first time somebody sinned or they disobeyed God. And something supernatural happened in that moment so that when any other baby was born in the future, any other human being, including you and me, was born in the future, we had that same problem, that same issue. We all want to be like God. We don't want to be led by anyone but ourselves. We have this selfishness. We have this sinful nature deep within our DNA. Let's read Romans. Let's jump into the New Testament. Uh, The next three verses are from the New Testament in Romans. Chapter 5, verse 12. Talking about Adam. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow. We've just sang about, come out the shadows. Casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. And I get that. That's not just theory. That's not just me telling you that because it says it in the Bible and it must be true. You and me, we live that out every single day. And, and again, in the next chapter of Romans, in the message version, it gives us, it kind of articulates a lot of our predicaments day in, day out. Especially as good Christians, we like to be good boys and good girls, and we want to get everything right. But listen to this. This proves to you and me that we're not naturally free. Verse 17, I'll just read a little bit of it. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, it's like the New Year's resolutions. I've got the best intention to lose weight, to do the right thing, to get, you know, out of debt. But sin keeps sabotaging my best intentions. Here's a key phrase. I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide at least not to do bad. I do it anyway. My decisions such as they are don't result in action. Something had gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every single time. This paradise that Adam and Eve lived in had suddenly become, because of one wrong decision, their prison. They were now no longer free. And it's like when we're born on this earth and when we live our lives, we are no longer free. We, we think we are, you know, we're born with civil rights and human rights and all of that stuff, but actually we're not free. We're not free until something is taken away, until somebody actually sets us free. We need help, as it says in that verse. I cannot become free. I cannot urge myself to be free. We talk and we sing a lot about being free. Freedom in Christ is a good thing. We talk about it. It's our cultural value. It's our core value. I need and want to be free, but I cannot do it myself. Somebody... The Garden of Eden, the perfect plan of God has been locked from the inside. Somebody needs the key to let me back in, but I cannot open the door myself. I was thinking of an illustration to emphasize the predicament that we as humans are in. And the one I can think about, and many of us have flown on airplanes before. 
and we're coming into land. So the seatbelt light goes on. And the pilot says over the tannoy, um, we're going to land now and blah, 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 blah. Don't take your seatbelt off until the seatbelt light has gone off. Now, obviously, you land, you hit the tarmac, you skid a little bit, and then you taxi around the airport. You go and find the, the airplane's parking space. Now, how many people do you see the light on the airplane? You still get up, go to the overhead locker. You start getting your bags. You're like, we need to get to the front of this plane. We need to be the first one off this plane. We need to get our bags. We need to get gone. It's going to be cute. We, we, since when, you won't admit it now, but since when are we the pilot of that plane? Now, I know you're thinking, I know best. I've got this nailed. You're thinking, the plane is not going to blow up. The plane certainly isn't going to crash. At five miles an hour, we're not going to die. So I can take it off. I don't need to obey the rules. I want to get from the tree of the knowledge and good, of e good and evil. It's my decision to make. Not anyone else's. It's my decision. I'm going to do it. But get off that plane. Try getting off that plane without somebody opening the airlock door. Try getting through customs without somebody taking your passport and letting you through into the country. You need somebody to un unlock. You cannot be free yourself. You cannot walk free yourself. You need someone. And if there's a message for anyone today, is you may have been trying. You may have been trying to solve something, fix something, change something in your life, but you cannot do it on your own. You need someone to set you free. Now, the final part of my message I just want to give you some practical things. I want you to understand that every single day you have a free choice between the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To shorten it for the rest of this message, I'm now going to call it the tree of knowledge. Knowledge is power. We all like information. We all like to be in the know. We like to know the secrets. We want to have control. We want to be in the in crowd. We want to have all the things, all our ducks in a row. We want to know God and sort him out, suss him out, get all his plan, nailed A, B, C, D to Z. We do. It's our human nature. But God says, I'm in control of that tree. Your tree is just to enjoy the life that I have given you. Now, in, in um, Genesis, in the incident that I've just talked about where Adam and Eve eat the fruit, there's three relationships as a result that are affected by, we call it in, in Christendom, the fall of Adam and Eve. We, we use that term, the fall. And I think we need to use, we can learn for the next 50 minutes about those relationships and actually do something about those relationships. And also we can approach these, two, these three relationships with these two trees in mind. Let me explain with the first one. The first one is this relationship that you have with other people. As it says in the scripture in verse 12, Adam blamed Eve. It was Eve, the one. In fact, he actually blames God. He says, the, one, the woman that you put here did it. And Eve blames the serpent. And the serpent blames Eve. And Eve blames Adam. And, Adam. and everybody blames one another. That relationship between humans, that beautiful, it's not good for man to be alone. That, that wonderful design that God had over, over human beings was completely an instant destroyed. Suddenly we want to get one up on the other. Suddenly we want to be better than the other. Suddenly we don't want to look bad compared to that person. We just want to look good in our own skin. Suddenly our relationships with other people has been damaged because of what happened. If we go to the tree of knowledge, the wrong tree, when we make mistakes, we try to get out of it. We try to cover it over, gloss it over. We try even sometimes to blame others 
for our mistakes. Who was responsible? It's the ongoing debate. Was it Adam? Was it Eve? Who was the most in the wrong? The female population. Woo! The male population. Men, you were wrong. You know what? It was just both. 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 It was humans. We were all wrong in the garden. It was all of our mistakes. Whatever gender you affiliate with, it was all of our problem. It was all of our mistakes. So if we go to the tree of life, which is what God encourages us to do, don't go to the one where you compare with other people, where you, where you, you beat other people up, where you, you allow bitterness to, to take over, and you, you, want, you compete with one another, and you want to be a better Christian than that person. Go to the tree of life. And in, the, in, the, in these practical things, I'll give you one thing to stop doing and one thing to stop, start doing. Firstly, stop blaming others for how you feel. Slightly Slight tangent, but it makes a little bit of sense. It's sometimes I can blame Steph for how I feel. She, she, she picked on me last week in her message. I'm going to get her back. But actually, this, 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 actually, makes me feel, this actually makes me look horrendous. This, so I'm laying all bare. Now, this, this first thing I'm about to say is gonna, you're going to just dislike me a little bit more than before I got up. Steph makes my packed lunch every day. Which is nice, isn't it? But she makes my sandwiches. Now, I've had the same pat lunch every day since I was a boy in primary school. I like sandwiches, crisps, chocolate, and an apple. That's how I eat my lunch every single day. So in, in my defense, it's easy for Steph. She doesn't have to work out what I like. She, she just, you know, it's, it's easy. But there was one day where she didn't. She didn't make my lunch. And I thought, what have I done? And I started to feel insecure. I started to think, oh my goodness, I'm not a good person. I'm, I've done something bad. I'm a bad person. I started blaming Steph for how I felt that she has done this thing, which means that I'm a bad person. The story goes on. And I actually told the staff, it was here, it was a few weeks ago, it was a few months ago. I told the staff and I was like, I don't know what's happened, but Steph's not made my lunch. I hope everything's okay. You know, and we, we all fasted that lunch and we all kind of laid hands on me and we prayed. And actually, we started kind of interceding, asking God, whatever Ben has done, would you forgive him in the name of Jesus? And then I went home, and it was just on the side. <laughs> but in that moment, I was blaming Steph for how I felt. I felt inadequate. I felt small. I felt like I'd done wrong, and it was Steph's fault. We do that all the time with our spouses, with our family, with our, we can blame the kids for being too busy. We can, we can do all these things and we can say, it's their fault, not mine. So stop blaming others. Start forgiving others and removing grudges. We joke about whose fault was it, Adam, Eve. But I actually think Adam had to forgive Eve and Eve had to forgive Adam. And if we're talking about a message on freedom, if there's one practical thing that you can do to be free is to forgive. And if there's one thing that you aren't doing that causes you not to be free, that is unforgiveness. If you hold a grudge, if you hold some unforgiveness about concerning somebody else, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, you are not free because you are being bound by that kind of, that, that pact that you've made with yourself that I'm not going to forgive them. I don't like them until they've said sorry. I'm not going to move on until they've done something right to rectify it. You're not free. I haven't got time. There'll be a whole message on that. But free, forgiveness is a key to freedom. And I'm going to move on from that. I could do a whole message, but I'm going to move on. Forgiveness. So you could start forgiving others 
and removing grudges. The second relationship that you can approach after the fall, after, you know, if you're trying to achieve and, and you want to have freedom, you want to know, okay, am I a free person? Well, if you hold a grudge, you're not. If you have some unforgiveness, you're not. If you continually blame other people for your mistakes, you're not free. If you laugh, not laugh, but if you kind of, if you don't take yourself too seriously, if you um, serve other people, if you forgive other people, there's a good indicator that you are actually free. But the second relationship that was damaged was our relationship with God, which again is a whole another message which we haven't got a huge amount of time to go in. But let's read one verse in Genesis 3, 8. When the cool evening breeze were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid themselves from the Lord. I didn't notice this until right now, but they did it among the trees. Where else would they hide? But again, these trees come up. These, not the two trees, but they hid in the trees. They hid from God. After eating from the, not, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they tried to hid because they feared God would punish them. They carried shame. If you want to be a free person, you need to deal with the issue of shame. If you go to the tree of knowledge, when you make a mistake, you don't feel as if God will ever love you again. You don't feel as if you can even go to God. You know what? You don't even feel like you deserve forgiveness. And in some ways, you're right. You don't. But that's where God's grace is. God, you do not deserve God's forgiveness. But his grace is so, so deep. And his love is so wide that even if you make the worst heinous sin known to man, he will, if you come to him, forgive him. What a wonderful, and that is only possible through Jesus. Through Jesus. Did I read Romans 8, 3? We'll read it again. I just feel like we should. I don't know if I did, but if we didn't. Romans 8, verse 3, because this is so important. Because of the, the tension, <laughs> this is the most important scripture that I'll read today. And I can't believe I missed it, but here we go, I didn't. But let's read Romans 8, verse 3. It says this. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, God, for Jesus. All that I've talked about, this predicament that we live in, where we've made the wrong choice, how do we get over that? How do we get back into the Garden of Eden? Well, the only way is through Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that that relationship can and has been restored. We can even, because of our approach going towards the, tr the tree of knowledge, we start to feel like, you know, I'm going to run away from God. Whereas all along, God has been urging you to run to him. He wants you to walk with him daily. But because of sin, but because of the tree, we went to the wrong tree. Because we, we feel bad about ourselves, we feel scared, we feel insecure, we'll go to the wrong tree and we'll run away from God. So two things to do. One is stop, one is start in terms of our relationship with God. Stop, if we approach the tree of life rather than the tree of knowledge. Stop running away from God and hiding things that actually you cannot hide from God because nothing can be hidden from God. So why even try to stop running 
away. And then secondly, you can start praying, reading the Bible, worshiping at home, worshiping in church, confident that he is there and he wants to be there. It's not like it's God's job. Oh, I'll, go and I'll be with them while they read the, the Bible. Or oh, if I have to, I'll go and spend some time with them because they've made an effort to open up you version. I'll do it. Okay. He wants to be in your presence. So why would you not want to be in his presence? To stop running away and start running to him. Pray, read the Bible, worship, confident that he's there and he's not going to leave you when he's got something else to do. So that's the second relationship. The first one was your relationship with other people, which was damaged. So you need to go to the tree of life. The second relationship is our relationship with God. You need to go to the tree of life. The third one is our relationship. And this is where I'm concluding today's message. Your relationship with you. Yourself. In verse 7 of Genesis 3, it says, At their moment, after they'd ate the fruit, at the moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt, shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Like Adam and Eve, if you were to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will try to cover yourself with wealth, promotion, recognition, feelings of importance, promiscuous relationships, substance abuse, whatever it might be, spending money on things that you cannot afford. We'll go and cover our nakedness, cover our shame, cover our inadequacies with other things. We'll even put other people down so that we look better. We'll even compare ourselves and look at other people and kind of, we'll do all these sort of things to avoid our own personal shame and guilt. But, if we approach Jesus, if we go to Jesus, if we approach the tree of life, we can start beating ourselves up about our past mistakes. So that's the first thing practically. I'm going to make a decision on the 12th of January. I'm going to stop beating myself up about my mistakes. Because no matter what I've done, Jesus loves you anyway. No matter what you have said, Jesus died for you anyway. We can feel ourselves, if we don't go to Jesus, if we, if we don't go to the tree of life, we can condemn ourselves. We can write each other, or sorry, we can write ourselves off. Kick ourselves to the curb. We're on the garbage heap. We've made too many mistakes. But God put a solution in place. Jesus on the cross. We couldn't get in. The door was barricaded from the inside. It was locked. Paradise lost. We couldn't get, I'm trying to kick the door in, but we can't. I can't make myself free. There's nothing I can do. I want to. I've got the best intentions to change my life, but I can't. I need a savior. I need Jesus. And as I conclude this message, I want to encourage a few people in today's congregation by saying you today you can be free I'll say that again because actually freedom as a concept is quite a difficult one to grasp it's like am I free it says it in the Bible Does, am I free sometimes I don't feel free 
Sometimes the world happens, life happens, stuff happens, and my approach to freedom changes. Suddenly I don't feel free anymore. I'm snowed under. I've got this on my life. This is happening to me. I cannot control. Everything is out of control. I really wish I could grab hold of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and take all power myself. But there's the other tree, the tree of life. Jesus offers you eternal life. Life in all its fullness. Now, if you're sat here and you're saying, I'm a Christian, I've accepted Jesus, I, that's, that curse of sin is gone. Jesus defeated sin in my life, but I still don't feel free. Maybe you could take on some of those practical thing, things that I've said. Maybe you can approach God differently. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you need to get your freedom back because you've lost it. But there's potentially a few people in this room and you've never had freedom. There's potentially this, people in this room and you've, you've got, you're addicted to a substance. You're addicted to making money. You want success. You want the promotion. But when you get the promotion, it's not good enough. You want the relationship. But when you get the person, it's not, they're not good enough. You want more than you can get. You're not free. You continue to do the wrong things that you know you shouldn't do, but you continually do them anyway. The good news for you is Jesus can set you free. And that can happen today. There'll be people at the, um, over in that side of the room later on at the end of this service. Pray. I'm going to pray now. Something can happen now. We're going to sing a song about freedom. In that song, somebody can be set free from whatever it might be. But I want to read one final verse to people in the room that aren't Christian. Somebody in the room may be here and you've been invited or you've come as a friend or you've come as a, a work colleague or whatever it might be. You're in church and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Many people in this room have. We haven't all grown up as Christians. I didn't grow up as a Christian. I discovered Jesus age 13. And I heard messages like this one. And I, I held off. I wasn't free to make a decision. I was like, I like what I hear, but I'm not going to make a decision. I'm not going to choose to follow Jesus. Something was holding me back. But something one Sunday, nothing different. Not a, not, not a better speaker, not a better worship. It was just in church. I made a decision which set me free. And this is what I did. In Romans 10, verse 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or to use the language from today, you will be set free.